step, one giant disappointment. Maybe this will sound a bit like a funeral. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dottino. No yelling and screaming, hooting and hollering from me today. Paul, what's going on, brother? How are you? Yeah, good morning, Sean. A disappointing end to what has been a productive and exciting season. And I think, you know, as I look back at the 40 years that I've covered the team, there have been playoff runs that ended poorly. There have been playoff runs that ended with a Super Bowl championship. There are playoff runs that ended in dramatic fashion where there were nail biters and gut wrenching because you knew what could have been. Uh, that's just the nature of of what happens in uh, in sports. And you know, yeah. we certainly didn't think that the Giants would get whacked, but that's what happened. Yeah, and we and we have to own it. They got whacked, and um, you know, we'll get into you know the positives about spinning forward, and we'll certainly get into the negatives of the game. But I do think, just to hit on that note, Paul, I think we're in a really unique circumstance, right? I mean, you talked about the forty years or so around the team. I am somebody who's 35, turned 36 years old, and there's a lot of people in that age group, right? maybe younger, maybe a little bit older, that this is really uncharted territory on how to deal with your feelings. I say that because, Paul, as you know, it hadn't been since, what, 93 where the Giants won a playoff game and then also lost a playoff game you know, without a trip to the Super Bowl. In fact, the last time they lost a playoff game following winning a playoff game was actually the, the Super Bowl 35 game versus the Ravens. So it has been a long time on being able to deal with the high of high of winning a playoff game followed with the losing of a playoff game. And I think for Giant fans, we just haven't experienced that swing in emotion from one week to another enough. Not that that's something you always want to experience, but, you know, I think dealing with it. And then you throw in the cesspool that is social media afterwards where they're ready to throw everybody out and everybody sucks. And, you know, you forget about everything you did six days earlier. It's just it's crazy. And I think that Giant fans today are, are definitely struggling with how to deal with emotionally, you know, what has unfolded over the last few weeks just to have this absolute dud of an ending versus the team they hate the most. I really love that you brought up the the 93 scenario. I really do. Um, you know, because that was a game where, you know, after they win their first round playoff game, they go out to San Francisco and get hammered by Ricky Waters and company. And that's Phil Simms's and Lawrence Taylor's final games in the National Football League. Right. Uh, it was it was the start of a new era and the closing of the book on what was just a phenomenal era of Giants football. There was a tremendous amount of sadness, not just disappointment, but sadness because you knew what you weren't going to see again. Phil Phil needed the rotator cuff surgery. You know, that was going to put his status very much up in the air if, if there was any chance of him coming back. As it turned out, George Young uh, had decided, you know, with the salary cap that was in play, it wasn't worth the risk. And Lawrence had immediately announced his retirement after the 49er loss. So if you want to put something in perspective, this can't possibly even come close to a fraction of, of misery compared to what happened back in, in 93. And to be honest with you, I know it was a little bit of a different circumstance, but then you look at the excruciating way they lost to San Francisco after the 2002 season. Yeah. When, uh, you know, Richie Seifert got held on the botched field goal play. We don't forget, you, you know, and you realize that the next day the league admits to the Giants that we blew the call and you should you should have had a re-kick. I yeah. mean, how do you how angry do you think that made the fan base? 
Yeah, and that was a red-hot giant team as well. My father, as the game winded down last night, kept really challenging some of us who obviously were a little younger than experienced. He he kept trying, and I know he, my dad's Mr. Positivity. He kept trying to hammer home that it felt a lot like losing in 85 before they really put things together in 86. Now, comparing next year's team to the 86 Giants feels like blasphemy, and I know he was grasping at straws, but to him, he just kept feeling it was the same sinking feeling he had where ultimately this really sucks, but I feel really good about what's to come. Well, why don't you compare it to 81? You know, when they finally made the playoffs after the dark ages, beat Philadelphia in the first round, and then were, were really overmatched, although it was a bit more competitive, obviously, against San Francisco. Yeah. Why don't you think of it that way? That's true. You know, that's true. That truly was the first step in the Giants to restoring the luster on yeah. their logo. Yeah. Well, with that, Paul. Let's let's deep dive as only we can into exactly what unfolded last night. And I think a blanket statement needs to be said to you could talk about, oh, how could the defense be that bad? How could the offense be that bad? Everybody was bad. Okay. A- across the board, this wasn't singularly on the defense, singularly on the offense. Neither side were able to help each other. In fact, I basically was playing bad giant loss bingo and waiting for Jamie Gillen to have a snap uh, you know, botched or a, a block punt. Somehow that didn't happen last night. But you know. We saw last week versus Minnesota, the Eagles go right down, uh, the Vikings go right down the field, and that's what the Eagles did. And the Giants just couldn't respond, and it felt like that right away was going to be the answer. I mean, you have that chain link delay, which was ridiculous. Um, Evan Neal basically getting mauled at right tackle. Uh, Daniel Jones tripping over offensive linemen. You could tell very early on that this was a different animal and a different defense for the Giant offense to deal with. And I think that. The fact that the Eagles went down and scored right away, the Giants couldn't punch back, and then the Eagles scored again when they go up 14-0. It just was one of those spots where the defense was going to have no answer, and the offense was already basically in quicksand, Paul. You know, for me, um, yeah, it was a a bad first quarter, Sean, obviously uh, punctuated by the interception. Right. But, but, I've seen this team show the resiliency of coming back from a couple of scores down before, especially, you know, it's only the first quarter. I'm thinking, you know what? I see the confidence that they've had for the last month. I know how, how, you know, blue collar they've been. They're not going to let this get to them. For me, where I started to feel like, okay, this is really, really for real. And they are in serious trouble was the Eagle drive that began after the punt with about 12 and a half minutes left in the second quarter. Because as I look at my notes, and this is why why everything took a very dark turn for me. Philly starts first down from their own 37, and Sanders runs six consecutive times and gets the ball to the Giants' 25. This winds up being a nine-play, 63-yard drive that makes it 21 to nothing, which includes only one pass. They just ran it and ran it and ran it. And then who scores the touchdown? Boston Scott. That's where I said, "Uh uh-oh, there may not be a comeback here. And I got to give the Eagles this much credit, Paul. I really do. Really good teams, great teams, great teams know what they do well and know the other team's weaknesses. Also, great teams will put their foot in the neck and never let go. We expected this to be, we knew the Giants' weakness was in stopping the run because it had been that way all season long. 
But in this era of passing in football, if you have a good quarterback and dynamic receivers, you're going to get suckered in and you're going to look to throw the ball all over the place because that's what you do well. The Eagles last night saw that that was the Giants' weakness. They saw that the Giants were able to strike back a bunch of times in Minnesota. And, Paul, they pounded the ball down our throats. They pounded the ball down our throats. And I actually have to give Nick Sirianni and Eagles offense credit. They weren't afraid to to just say, I don't care if we just have to keep giving it to Miles Sanders, uh, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott. I know the Giants can't stop this, and this is how we're going to win the game. Um, that does deserve to be credit. They could have sat back and said, we're going to try to throw to A.J. Brown as million times as possible. They, they ran the ball down the Giants' throats, and it was a good reminder going forward that for as, as positive a season as this was for the Giants defensively in Wink Martindale, man, they need to get better stopping the run. And whether that's adding, you know, a stud linebacker or something like that. I know Leonard Williams was banged up all year. I actually thought Leonard Williams at first glance might have had his worst game as a Giant last night. The Eagles were not afraid to pound it down the Giants' throats. And that's a will breaker on the other side for the offense. You're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting to get the ball back. And these drives are taking six minutes, eight minutes, just the longest amount of time down the field that are ending in touchdowns. It is suffocating to a team to have that happen. 28 nothing at halftime. Uh, 26 carries for 140 yards as a team for Philadelphia by the time they went into the locker room. And the Giants had only seven for 20. You know, Sean, when I looked at the key points uh, for the Giants to go on the path uh, to victory here, uh, and we discussed this on our program last week, 35 carries or so for at least 150 yards. Giants didn't do it. Needed to hold the ball for over 33 minutes. Giants didn't do it. They needed to hit and pound Jalen Hurts. They got zero quarterback hits on him during the course of the game. Didn't do it. Uh, The only thing that they did on those four key factors, which I thought were all doable and were necessary to beat a team of this ilk, was I didn't think they should throw the ball more than 30 times. As it turned out, they didn't. That is the only number. And, and like, what good was that without the other well, components of the formula? And, Paul, okay. I, would ar- I would argue a lot of the reason they didn't throw the ball 30 times is because they kept going three and out as well. It wasn't like they had these. Yeah, right. Drives. You know, you looked at Daniel Jones' numbers at the end of the day. He doesn't have a lot of yardage. He doesn't have a lot of completions. He doesn't have a lot of attempts. Well, it's because the drives basically were three and out all night long. Yeah. Uh, let's see what the final total was. Uh, 20 carries, 27 pass attempts. So the balance turned out to be lopsided on the passing side anyway, which we all knew was not going to be a good recipe for the Giants. So all of the things that we had agreed on and discussed that needed to happen for them to pull off this upset and thought were very doable, we really thought they were doable based on what we had seen, uh, those things did not happen. And all of us knew going in, that if those things did not happen, that formula didn't mix right, it was going to take taste like a really bad can of the old new formula of Coca-Cola, which I oh. know you're old enough to remember. Oh, you're the old new formula. <laughs> you, had to, you had to bring back the old, old, Paul. You had to bring back the old, old. 